We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. You're going to follow me on Twitter. And it's Thursday, March 2nd. And we're continuing to talk a little bit more about Late Swap. We've been talking about that all week. If you got any questions about Late Swap considerations, we talked about macro strategy. We talked about micro strategy. We're going to get down into the micro, the micro, micro strategy today. Uh, the things that I, that I did not necessarily mention yesterday's show. So if you want to go back to the past two shows to talk to, to to find out all the things that you should be taking into consideration when uh, when making late swap changes in, in the sports that obviously offer late swap. Tomorrow we'll be covering MMA. We got a UFC uh, pay-per-view slate coming up. Obviously no MMA late swap, so you don't have to worry about that anymore. Uh, so uh, so tune in tomorrow. We got the uh, Ground and Pound podcast uh, recording later today. So that'll be out uh, tonight or tomorrow morning. The expert survey, projection, ownership, everything for the, the UFC pay-per-view on Saturday. Give me those thumbs ups. Give me the thummy thumbs. You know how much I love the thummy thumbs. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Good morning to Wataz and Suki Singh, the, the early birds, as usual. Barfi, Daniel Hutchings, Matthew Gajewski, Defick. Good morning. Good morning. Got any questions? Got any comments about late swap? Put them in the YouTube chat. And if you got any questions about anything at all, anything DFS strategy related, I cover it all here. I cover it all. I typically try to get, I, it's unstructured learning, but in a little bit more structured way. I wait for some questions to come in on similar topics and then I kind of go through them. So, uh, Email them in, questions at theoryofdfs.com. That is the email address if you've got any questions for the show or show up here in the YouTube chat. That's perfectly fine. So late swap. We've been talking about late swap, late swap, late swap, late swap. Not enough people utilize late swap, and most people don't utilize it in the right way. Uh, you know, they, oh, guy's injured. That's the only way I use late swap. Nope. That ain't, that ain't you should be using late swap all the time. So in the past two days, we talked about, and we get my little sketch out here, right? But understanding the equity dynamics, the equity distribution of the contest that you're playing determines, and, and obviously how far you are ahead or behind in relation to the field, it should determine how you utilize late swap, whether or not you're looking to block, unblock, you're looking to increase the variance of your lineup, decrease the variance of your lineup, where are you looking to aim, right? There's a difference between double ups. There's a difference between GPPs. There's a difference between GPPs that have ridiculously top-heavy payout structures and ones that have a little bit more flatter payout structures. What lineups are you really competing against? And one of the biggest factors, like I mentioned yesterday and the day before, that people don't realize what lineups they're competing with. What equity 
are they are they battling over? And if you do not have the nut advantage, you're not battling for much of the, you know, tons of the equity of the contest in a GPP is just realistically unavailable to you. So people make way, way massive late swap changes that really don't increase the probability of you cashing, right? It increases the probability of maybe a little bit more often you'll get a 2x or a 3x, but it actually decreases your ability to get a 1.5x. And in that moment, most of the, that's where most of the equity is anyway. And then you have people on the other end that that don't late swap at all, right? They're way behind and they just don't even bother. And they're just like, up. Oh, they just give up. They throw up their hands. It's like, good for them, right? That helps you. If you're late swapping, you're behind and you're trying to rescue some min caches. You want the people that are way behind to just like, I'm just going to leave this 80% on player in my lineup and ye and I'm going to come in uh, in the top 45th percentile and lose rather than try to come in the top 25th percentile and get a 1.5x payout. So late swap is, is very important to your bottom line over time. And then obviously when you're close to the top, the number one mistake people make is that they try to block, they try to, they play too conservatively. Not realizing that, especially in very top-heavy payout structure contests, that it's it's usually worth it to to take the shot at first place rather than like like shore up an eighth to twelfth place finish, right? It's like okay, I can I can really I can maximize my my chances of getting in tenth place. You know, worst case scenario, I come in sixteenth place. Maybe I come in sixth place instead of trying for first. Now, we talked about before about swapping out players based on projection and ownership, right? We went we went through that, right? We, we, we see this over here, right? If your lineup is a score, the cash line is this, which type of player would you want? You lower your projection, you lower your ownership, and you can make up relative value that way. But there are two other ways to make up relative value. Remember, there are three levers. There are three levers of DFS. projection right? Which we talked about. Correlation and leverage. Now, leverage could be the ownership part, yes, but it could also be direct leverage on pieces that are already chalky. So, for instance, let's say as an example, let's use an NFL example. Let's uh, let, let's make up two games, okay? Two games that are available now in the late games. Let's say it's a, let's say it's a Minnesota versus uh, who, who did I, Minnesota versus Cleveland. Maybe that's one of the games, right? I'm just trying to think of teams that have a little bit more, uh, you know, very distinct uh, player player trees, right? Philadelphia versus, uh, let's see, what 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 team can we use? Philadelphia versus um, who they play in there? The Dallas, maybe Dallas. And Dallas has a bunch. You have the two two running backs. You have to deal. With. It could be Dallas, I guess. Maybe uh, Washington. Oh, they, they have a bunch of receivers also. Who, who's who's in that division? The Giants are a mess. Who, who could they be playing? See, the Seattle. Okay, see, now Seattle's good. Yeah, Seattle, there, there you go. A little bit more, more condensed, right? Just to make the, 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 the examples easier, right? So let's say there are two games in the late in the late window, right? Okay. And obviously we have, we have you know, type, type the types of lineups that we'd have. It, the players that are available for Minnesota would be something like, Cousins, Cook, Jefferson, Jefferson, Thielen, Thielen. That how you spell it? Thielen. Obviously, you have like KJ Osborne, right? That they throw him in there. Hawkinson, right? Something like that. They have those types of players, right? And then for Cleveland, you would have Watson, Chubb. Obviously, Hunt, I guess, is there also. Uh, then you got Cooper, DPD, DPJ, and Joku, something like that, right? For Philadelphia versus Seattle, you would have Hertz and Hertz and Sanders, Brown, Brown Smith, Devonta Smith, and Goddard, like something like that. Goddard. And for Seattle, you'd have uh, Geno Geno Smith, right? Geno Smith, put a G there just to differentiate. Smith, you got Kenny Walker, you got Lockett, Lockett, Metcalf, 
I guess you got Fant also, right? Something something like that, right? Right. Not dealing with like the teams that have like, you know, four different wide receivers that are all about equal and three running backs or whatever. So these are the fellow players that were would be available to you. Okay. Now let's say, let's say, for instance, that there's there's chalk in the late game, right? The, the high owned let's say, let's say uh just for the sake of uh salary, I guess. Let's say, let's say Miles Sanders. Let's just say Miles Sanders. I'll even underline it. Most of the lineups that you're competing against, right? Have a lot of Sanders and a lot of Sanders and Lockett. Like, because he was cheap for a while, right? And you get something like this, right? Maybe, maybe you got Sanders, Lockett, and. Who's, who's, who's like Shaw? Okay, Jefferson, maybe. Maybe get a lot of ownership on. Maybe these are the guys that are in a lot of lineups, right? That have high ownership, okay? So now if you're behind, let's say, let's say you have Jefferson Sanders Lockett in your lineup currently, right now, heading into, heading into the late games, okay? So you have the three chalkiest players in your lineup. Now, obviously, looking at here, let's say you're behind. Like you're far enough behind, you're far, let's say you're close to the cash line. Okay, if you're close to the cash line, now it's going to depend on how owned these guys really are. Like they could be chalky. Let's say Jefferson 15% owned, Sanders is is 20% owned, Lockett is, is, is 30% owned or something like that. Does it mean if you're very close to the cash line, does it mean you have to take out Jefferson? Does it even mean that you have to take out Sanders or Lockett? You, maybe... Maybe you take out one of these three. Maybe instead of playing Lockett, you play Amari Cooper instead. And there you go. You're close enough to the cash line, right? You may be in the top 35th percentile. Like you just have to make up like 10, 10 percentile difference. Maybe a couple of points. A lot of people, what they do is they go, I'm behind. I'm going to switch out all three of these players. Well, you're close enough to the cash line that these players aren't owned enough. Right, they aren't. They aren't owned totally enough. Right? You can't. You, you can't just glide in. Just play the top projected lineup minus one of them. Now, the further you go away, the further you're behind. The more that you'd be like, okay, I'm going to replace Jefferson, Sanders, and Lockett, and I'm going to play instead of playing Sanders, I'm going to play Cook. I'm going to play AJ Brown and Amari Cooper or something like that. Like you could do that, and maybe you sacrifice a couple of points of projection to do so. Okay. Now, if you knew that Jefferson, Sanders, and Lockett were the more, if Lockett's 30% owned, well, what ends up happening is that Metcalf may only be 10, right? Maybe A.J. Brown's only 5% owned, right? Maybe maybe get something like this. Brown, Smith, Sanders, maybe Walker is 10% owned. Chubb is... These guys are, the Browns are 5% owned. Maybe Cook is only 5% owned. So do you see how you could just from an ownership standpoint, from a you could get leverage this way. But how about from a correlation standpoint? Some of these players are negatively correlated to each other. Their ceilings are at least. So if you see that Lockett is 30% owned, like who is the most negatively correlated to 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 lock it probably Kenny Walker right every Kenny Walker rushing touchdown is coming out of locket so maybe if you're behind you'd be like okay I got these three players in in my lineup Jefferson Sanders locket so you take out Sanders and you replace him with Walker and then you replace locket with like Devonta Smith who would be negatively correlated to Miles Sanders you give up a couple of points of projection, but you're also getting negative, you're getting negative correlation against a 20% on Sanders and a 30% on Lockett. So when in doubt, if the projection is similar, I'd rather, if I'm behind and I need to make up points, I need to increase the variance of my lineup, I need to gain relative value, that I'd rather play players that are negatively correlated to the players that 
I need to do poorly, right? That my, my opponents are more likely to have in their lineups. This is if I'm behind enough. If I'm not behind enough. I could, I, it's po- quite possible if these ownership numbers, I could stay pat and still cash, right? If you're only, you know, you're five points behind the cash line, adjusting for PMR and salary, it's quite possible you just leave them, leave all three guys in, you're fine. But as you get further away, you need to make up more and more relative value. But I mean, you could just say, oh, I'm going to take out Sanders and I'm going to replace it with Chubb. I mean, you could do that. But these games aren't correlated to each other, right? They, they have nothing to do with one another. It'd be more beneficial that if you wanted, if, you, if you're not going to play Lockett, play someone that is negatively correlated to Lockett, which would be Kenny Walker. Or you don't play the game at all, right? Because they're all correlated to some extent, right? In the game score. So let's say let's say you have Jefferson, Sanders, and Lockett in your lineup. Maybe you take out Sanders and Lockett, and you play, you know, Thielen, Cooper instead. Right? You need a you need a run and Chubb and Osborne, and you just play players from the Minnesota versus Cleveland game, or maybe the vice versa. You take out Jefferson, and you play AJ Brown instead, and now you have some extra money, and maybe you move Lockett to Metcalf because Metcalf is probably a little bit more expensive. There you go. You're getting both ownership leverage as well as correlation. You know, you're you're playing players that are now positively correlated to each other in the same lineup. So let's say, for instance, let's say, for instance, that the chalk, for, for whatever reason on this slate, is a Geno, is, is a Geno Smith stack. Let's say, because it's cheap, right? You get something like this. Maybe Metcalf is 15% owned. Right. Cousins is only five. Watson is barely owned. Hertz, Hertz always has ownership, right? Something like that. Goddard maybe maybe owned because of that. It's something like this. You're heading into you're heading into the late game, and maybe maybe Jefferson wouldn't be as owned. We take off the the underline just to show that. Maybe a lot of lineups have something like this left. Maybe you're sitting there with a three plus one. You're sitting there with a Geno Smith, Lockett, Metcalf, and a Sanders runback type of thing. You're sitting there like that. They're all they're all correlated now, right? So what if most of if you're behind, and most of your opponents are a lot of your opponents are playing this three plus one stack? What would be a, the best option to do if we say that projection you know it, 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 about equal? All things being equal, when you switch your players, that the projection differences aren't going to be that dramatic. Well, if so many people are playing Smith, Lockett, Metcalf, Sanders, what would be the most negatively correlated in here? Like what you could do is go, okay, instead of playing Geno Smith, I'm going to play Jalen Hurt. You do the opposite stack, right? You do Hurts, Smith, Goddard, Walker. That would be negatively correlated to the, the Geno Smith lineup. But you know what would be even more negatively correlated? Not playing anyone in the game at all. Right? If ever, if ever, if most people, if you're playing against a, lot, a chalky Seattle stack plus a Philadelphia run back, all these players, if the game goes over, 80 points in the game, like most of these players are going to do pretty well. So if you need to make up additional leverage, the further and further you are behind, it may be more beneficial to if everyone is playing everyone. I'm using that in quotes. If a correlated game stack is high owned, it'd be more beneficial to play zero of them. None of them. Just go, okay, I'm going to take out Sanders and I'm going to put in, I'm going to play the Cousins, Thielen, Jefferson, Cooper stack or something. Right? You play Watson, Cooper, DPJ, Dalvin Cook. Because you have this other game that's available to you. And now you have multiple players that are lower owned and they're correlated to each other. Now the projection obviously will go down. So if many of your opponents are playing a correlated lineup, it gives you more and more incentive to avoid any of the players. If your opponents are playing a non-correlated lineup like we showed before, like we go back and undo all of it, right? If we're here and like, okay, 
the three remaining players are uh, are Jefferson Sanders Lockett. Not that not all that correlated, right? It, now it would be now you would like to go to like oh now I'm going to play a Hertz I'm going to play a Hertz Brown Smith Lockett and you can even leave Lockett in at thirty percent ownership. So the more uncorrelated your opponents are the more benefit you get for being correlated. Because what does correlation do? It increases the variance of your lineup. And that's that's the goal that we're trying to do here with these lines. How far back are we? And how do we increase the range of outcomes of our lineup? And depending on how far back we are, that's how much we need to increase the range of our outcomes. The variance of our lineup. So if you're really far back, you have to do extensive amounts highly correlate do something highly different than a bulk of your opponents but when you're very close you may not you may not have to do things that that dramatically i think these are the two situations that you're more likely to be in either you're close to the cash line or you're way far away from the cash line the instances where you're competing towards the top have come once in a blue moon you still make the same considerations, right? You're sitting there, you're you're in you're in eighth place, and you see above you, right? You see you're in eighth place, and you see above you that two people have Jefferson, three people have Sanders, five people have Lockett, right? And in some combination, it'd be much better. Can you not play any three? I want to unblock myself as much as possible. Does anyone have A.J. Brown above me? No. Take a look. Take a look at the seven lineups that are above you. Assuming PMR, right? There are people below you. There, you know, it's it's not just a completely linear like that. But you look and you go, who, who, what do people do not have above me? Because maybe you look at the seven lineups and you go, above me, no one has Jefferson. Even though Jefferson is decently owned, but you, but none of the seven lineups above you have have him. Now maybe you keep him in if he projects well. Right, leave them in. But you see that, like, oh yeah, like five out of the seven lineups above above you have Sanders plus Lockett, like together. Maybe, maybe don't play them at all. And you had you have Jefferson Sanders Lockett in your lineup, and someone else, you know, that other people instead of Jefferson have Devontae Adams or something. In the you know the Raiders are playing in that in the late set. Be like, well, should I just keep Sanders Lockett? Jefferson, since no one has Jefferson, but five people have Sanders Lockett. I'm telling you, it's more beneficial if you just got rid of Sanders Lockett. Or at least one of them. It'd be much more beneficial to you to aim for first place and go, what do the people above me do not have? As long as you're not sacrificing a ton of projection. It may be better off to have, you know, Walker Brown instead of Sanders Lockett, because maybe that ends up being the same price. Devonta Smith, Kenny Walker. And you see the projection, and it, oh, you have to sacrifice three and a half points of projection to do that. But does anyone have Devonta Smith above you? No. Does anyone have Walker above you? No. Does anyone have Jefferson above you? No. Now you get to avoid these Sanders plus Lockett combinations. You may also choose, instead of playing Sanders and Lockett, since you have Jefferson, and go, I'm going to play Chubb. I'll play Chubb and Thielen or something like that. So I avoid the game that has both Sanders and Lockett in it. You can do that as well. I think you probably end up giving up more projection. Chubb probably projects much lower, that combination. But these are the considerations that you're looking at. How do I increase the variance of my lineup at the rate in which I need to for the placement in the contest that I'm currently at? And for GPPs, I'll rep- I, I, I repeated it a million times yesterday. So I'll have to go over and over again. Most of the equity of the contest in GPPs are in the top spots. Exponentially each and every spot. First and second is dramatically different. It's so dramatic. I mean, it is insanely dramatically different. Second and third is dramatically different. Third and fourth is dramatically different. 50th and 100th is, doesn't matter that much. 
right? 50, uh, either I, I get 10x or I get 7x. Not that not that big of a deal, 50th and 100th place. 300th place and 1,000th place, who cares? Well, one is like 5x and one is 3x or something. Who cares? That's not where your profit, that's not where the equity is. You don't make money in DFS by coming in 500th place more often. The money is in the top spots. So if you have the nut advantage, if you have a shot at the top spots, aim for the top spots. You're not going to get there as often making those late swaps. But in the long run, you're going to win. You're going to win first place more often. Yeah, you're going to have some, oh, I ended up coming in 100th place because I made that late swap. Yeah, but if you come in first once, like that, like, dude, the difference between second and first place in these contests is ridiculous. 100,000 a first, 40,000 a second, 20,000 a third, 10,000 a fourth. And then you're like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna late swap in that situation where five of the seven players have uh, Sanders Lockett in front of you. The only difference is they have Devontae Adams, and you have Justin Jefferson. And then it's like, okay, how do I lock up like seventh place? Well, by just leaving leaving your lineup alone. But seventh place is like twenty five hundred dollars. First place is a hundred thousand. So if you know, if you know, most likely because people don't late swap enough that the people above you aren't going to swap. Don't try to have the same players. As long as you're not sacrificing a million points in projection, right? Don't swap to people and then leave yourself 15 points in projection behind. Don't do that. If you could sacrifice three or four points in median projection to not share any points with anyone above you, you come in first once out of uh, once out of 10 times the other nine times, you can drop to 100th place. You make way more money. And then if you do not have the nut advantage, then the late swap choices you have, you're not competing in the first place, right? See where you are and just try to cash. That's it. That's your goal. You're not trying to make up the most amount of points. You're not going to get there. You have duds in your lineup. You didn't have the 30-point guy that's 40% on in your lineup, like... What are you making swaps that like, oh, maybe I maybe I could come in 10th place. You can't. You, you, it's, it's unrealistic. Just try to min cash at that point. And sometimes that involves staying packed a lot of times, depending on the ownership of the players. But obviously you're going to be more in the rescue and min cash zone, more slates than you are going to be competing for the top. I know it's nice. It's nice to have hope going into the 4 p.m. NFL games. Going, if this game goes off, maybe maybe I could overcome the fact that I have three snowflakes in my lineup. Most probably you can't. Most probably you can't. So just try to min cash, and then when you get up towards the top, don't play conservative. Go for first place. Unblock yourself as much as possible. Those, to me, those are the two biggest mistakes when it comes to late swap. I mean, the first bit, no, truthfully, the first biggest mistake is not considering late swap at all. The people that are like, I only late swap when there's an injury, right? Like, these, these are the people that we make money from. People that don't understand, oh, MMA late swap. We got, why don't we just have late? Oh, didn't you like last week? Krylov and Span, they got canceled. He got a zero. Why don't you want late swap? So that if some, if a fight gets canceled, I could swap. I said, yeah, but you could also swap even if a fight doesn't get canceled. It's like, why would I do that? It's like, okay, well, th- thank you for thank you for your donation. Thank you for your donation. If you don't understand an NBA, right? There's still plenty of people even now in 2023, right? Plenty of people, 20 plus percent of the field, 40 plus percent of the field in your NBA contest are people that don't late swap when a starting lineup changes. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When projection, when projections, they're not using projections, so they don't even know that it changes. It's like, oh, okay, I, I have this guy in my lineup and he's not injured. So there's no reason for me to even consider late swap. Never mind the fact that someone else in another game is injured, and now all the players on their team are like $700 million underpriced. And they're like, well, my, it doesn't affect my lineup. It's like, yeah, but like so many of your opponents are going to switch to these 4K players. They're going to put up 40 points. But you don't have the injured player in your lineup, so you're not doing anything. Thanks for the donations. Got any questions about this? I just wanted to mention on, on today because uh, we were talking about late swap the past two days and did not mention the the correlation and leverage elements, the direct leverage elements to late swap where, you know, you see, you see, oh, my opponent has, has this guy in his lineup. It's like, how do I make up more points by, if they fail, who succeeds when they fail? That'll increase the variance of my lineup a little bit. Or you've got multiple spots in your lineup. It's like, well, how do I increase the variance of my lineup? Well, instead of playing three unrelated players, maybe I play three correlated players. That'll increase the variance of my lineup. Or maybe your opponent has a correlated pair. It's like, how do I avoid that? If one guy does badly, it's most likely two other guys do badly. But if my opponent has that, I want to be uncorrelated. You'll see that in NBA. I mean, NBA... Let's say, let's say it's the, the Blazers versus the Lakers. And and Damian Lillard is chalk. And you need to make up points. Should you be playing LeBron James in your lineup? And I know you're probably sitting there going, well, LeBron James isn't on, is it on the, the Blazers? Well, if Lillard is chalky, what happens if that game blows out? Most likely the starters don't get max minutes. So if you're playing, if you're, if you're, if the chalk is Damian Lillard, why would you play LeBron James in your lineup? Because most likely if Le- LeBron does well, Lillard is more likely to do well uh, as from a minutes perspective. I know that correlations in NBA are much weaker. You'd probably avoid players in that game completely and hope that it blows out rather than play the other side of the game only. It's like, no, well, if I'm not going to play Little, then I'm not going to play LeBron. If you need to make up points. Obviously, if you don't need to make up points, then you do the opposite. Then you'd be like, okay, now I want to add correlation to my lineup. These aren't that very, these, these aren't hard concepts. And there's no correct answer. There's no like, well, how many exact points? It's like, no, you have to look at the lineups in your contest. From a blunt perspective, you you have to judge yourself. From a precise standpoint, do you do you have do you have Nerdy Tanner's supercomputer to simulate a million instances of this contest and all the players and everything like that? Then then you can come up with a much more precise answer of running a simulation of all the late swaps you could possibly do, and what's the outcomes based on all of that? You could you could do that. I can't program that. I I, I can't do that. So I just have to judge it on a more blunt level. What lineups am I competing against? How owned are they? How far behind am I in relation to the field when adjusting for PMR and salary? Oh, I think I'm about eight points. I'm eight points behind on average. How do I make up eight points? Oh, I'm 14 points behind or I'm like whatever it is. And then what's the ownership of the players? Do I take out the 90% on guy? Do I, maybe there's no 90% on guy. Maybe the only guys that are left are 20% or below. And the differences between playing one 20% on guy and one 15% on guy, not that dramatic. 
But there may be, maybe in the late set of games, you have a guy that's 45% owned. And it's like, well, I'm down by 16 points, so I'm probably removing that guy. Or I'm only down by three points, so maybe I don't have to remove that guy. The exact numbers, not as important as understanding the concepts. Well, I'm three points. What's the difference between being three points behind and being three and a half points behind? If you're thinking like that, that doesn't matter. People get so focused on, like, I want a formula. There isn't a formula. There's no correct answer. Do you understand the concept? And most of the time, with the people that ask that, what's the, uh, the, the number, don't understand the concept. They just, oh, what, what number do I have to look for? Like, you don't even know what you're looking at. You're in a head-to-head, right? You both share the same players and you're three points behind. Does it matter if you're three points behind or 400 million points behind? No, it doesn't. If you both, if one spot left and you both share the same player, once it locks, you lose. Doesn't matter how many points behind you are. The concept is, is that you're blocked and you lose. So, so who should I switch to? Anyone else? Anyone else? That's the, the main thing is that you have to switch. Right? If you're if you're in a head-to-head and you're sharing the same last player, 99% of the battle is you realizing you gotta switch. Because you will play against people in high dollar head-to-heads that don't. They don't. They just lose. They just literally lose. Okay? So my job is to get you is to get you to that point. You got to swap. Oh, well, now you have two spots left, right? And now you have to try to figure out salary-wise, who does your opponent have? You're behind by six points or whatever the amount of points. What do they have? It's most likely they have this guy and that guy. And I have this guy and this guy. Like, do I swap? Well, don't share the same players. That's it. That, that's That's the battle. As long as you know to swap, you're better than 80% of the people that play. Then at the point of like, well, six points versus four points, well, it all depends on the slate. There's no number. There's no number that can be just applied across the board. Remember the two rules. The two rules of DFS questions. One, can the question be answered by a yes or a no? If it can, that means you're not thinking about DFS the right way. Number two, can the answer, can the question be answered with an exact number? If it can, that means you're not thinking about DFS the right way. Until you get to the point where none of your questions can be answered with a yes, no, or an exact number, that means now, now you're now you get it. Now you get DFS. How many points behind do I need? Like, there's no correct for. There'll be there'll be around an estimate for a specific slate with specific ownerships with specific everything. That number will change every single day at every single moment. So to ask the question how many points doesn't mean anything without the exact slate. And then for me to say, yeah, I think at about six and a half points, then I would start thinking about uh, moving that guy out and this guy in. They go, well, what happens? How about seven and a half? I said, if you think seven and a half, I think that's close enough. Like, I'm I'm not even giving you a I'm not even giving you an exact answer. I'm going, that's what I would judge it at. Am I right? I have no idea. Sounds about right. Conceptually, probably around there. I'm probably not far off. I'm directionally accurate. No, but the exact number is 6.82. Okay. Am I changing my decision based on 6.5 or 7.5? Probably not. So to worry about, how do I get it to 6.82 and then do it? what is exactly right? It's like, you know how much money you make from that? Nothing. You're exploiting your, your, your opponent's mistakes. So I got, because I got some questions about, you know, late swap of like, what at, at what point, how many points behind an NBA would I have to be in order to start late swapping? And I was just like, look, I looked at the question and I'm just wondering, like, do, do people like actually watch my content? 
Well, I don't know. That's too vague. You have to include probably 40, 400 more variables in order for me to even answer the question. Like it, it's so many variables, it will just be on a specific slate. And you wouldn't be able to take that and say, well, that's the number for the next slate. What's the concepts? Get the concepts in your head. So let's repeat the concepts. Okay? The concepts. The further you are behind, the more and more variance you should introduce to your lineups. You see how simple that is? That's it. That's the concept. Well, how far behind? Who cares? The further and f- whatever you deem, further and f- further and further. Are you close to the cash line? Yes. Okay, which means you don't have to late swap that much. Do you have the nut advantage, right? Do you, do you have a shot at first place? Probably not. Okay? So now that we, we've already said that the, all this equity in the GPP is gone to you, your goal is to min cash. How far behind the line are you? Not that far. Okay. Depending on the ownership of the players in your in your lineups, you may not have to swap at all, right? You probably don't have to swap much, okay? Are you close to the cash line? Probably don't have to swap that much. I'm way off the cash line. Yeah, you probably got to, you got to swap to everyone. You got to swap everyone. Well, how far is, uh, whatever you deem is way too, you're way, you're in last place, you got 400 zeros in your line. That's at that point, whatever it is. The further and further away you are behind, the more and more that you should be sacrificing median projection in order to add variance to your lineup, either either through project, through ownership, through correlation, any ways that you can, because you're going to have to get to this cash line somehow, right? The more and more, further and further back you are. The closer and closer... Right, the closer you are to first place, the more and more you should be blocking. Okay, so if you're in first place, now you, you don't want to you want to block as many people as possible. Second, if you're in second place, it, it's going to go down dramatically. Why? Because the e- equity goes down dramatically. So the closer and closer you're on to first place, the less and less likely you should late swap. But remember, the closer and closer to first place is really close to first place. Yeah, but I'm in 12th place. Yeah, you're way you're way behind to first place now. Because the equity goes down dramatically. It goes down dramatically. So as a heuristic, if you have a shot at first place, you should be more inclined to late swap. Unblock yourself from people that are that are they're pacing out above you. Unless you're the pace setter, unless you're the first guy. If you're the first person, then then you can block everyone. That's perfectly fine. Because the difference between first and second and second and third and third and fourth are dramatic. If you're if you if, if you're in a position once every couple of weeks to possibly get first place, aim for first. I know it won't work out a lot of the times, but it doesn't have to work out all the time. It just has to work out once out of every couple of times. It's like, oh, well, I did it, and I came in, and then ended up coming in 120th place because I late swapped. Okay, and the next time you're there, you, maybe you win. And when you win, you win 100000 You don't come in sixth place for 2500 bucks. The That one first place is worth way more than, than 10 sixth places. So aim for first. At what point can I start deciding on what to block and what not to block? Whatever you deem. Do you think you have a realistic shot at first place? Do you have the nut advantage? Well, I think most likely you're going to need X, Y, and Z in your lineup. And I have X, Y, and Z in my lineup. Okay. So now play play for first place now. <coughs> if you're like, well, I don't know if you're going to need this guy in your lineup. It's like, okay, I don't... Do you think... the do you think you're going to, if you think that you're going to need them and you don't have them, then you don't have the nut advantage. Now you're playing, now you're playing for min cash. 
No matter where you are, no matter where you are, you're essentially, you're either playing for min-cash or you're playing for first place. So let's say you have a really good lineup that doesn't have the nut advantage. So it's like your ceiling is like 100th place. What do you do then? Now you block everyone. Now you don't, you wouldn't want to let, you would want to play the chalkiest players possible. You go, well, if I play the chalkiest players possible, how do I ever get from 100th to first place? Well, you don't. But you're already telling me that you have no shot at first place because you don't have this one guy that these 100 other people have. So the likelihood of you getting past 100th place is small. So why don't you just lock up 100th place then? A lot of people in that spot go, ah, how do I make up those 100 spots? And they late swap four guys out. And even if the four guys do well and the one guy does badly, they still don't make it. They make it to 40th place. And then if they don't make it, they're in like, they don't even cash. So you know, at that point, what lineups are you playing against? If you don't have the nut advantage, then you'd say you're, you're playing for a min cash. You're trying to, you're trying to hold on for as much as you can. But so many players play it the opposite. I can make up. I can make that up. Yeah, I said, I don't have the wide, the, I don't have the $4,500 wide receiver that's 32% owned that put up 46 points or whatever. Yeah I, yeah, I can make it. You probably can't. You probably can't. So these are the considerations of late swap. It doesn't matter the sport. Baseball, basketball, football, hockey, right? Even though I don't play hockey, golf, is there, like, there's no late swap in golf, MMA. If there was, I mean, when MMA existed with late swap for the short period of time, this is the edge. Most, most people didn't. I mean, dude, I made, dude, I dude, I won the 555 with with on a late swap slate. And I came in, I think, third in another one. When the, the eight weeks or whatever of MMA late swap, I was insanely profitable. There was one slate that I rescued, like, like I played like eight lineups and I rescued like six lineups just to cash. Right? And I made money on the slate when it, and it turns out that if I left my lineups alone, I would have like lost all my money because so few people are late swapping and so few were late swapping properly. So I go, oh, oh damn, I got one. I, I got a loser in my lineup. This is what people did. Oh, I got a loser in my lineup. Now I got to swap to like the biggest underdog to make up those points. I'm like, you already got a loser in your lineup. You ain't winning first place. So why don't you just try to get five wins? Just gotta get five wins in your lineup. So why are you playing the biggest underdog? Who cares about the number of points now? You're not, you're not cutting, you're not getting first place. Just swap the five wins. So I just play, it's like, okay, high ceiling guy, get out of here. And it was like, what's the best money line value that I can make in the, the last five spots of my lineup? And that's what I did. And then you get five wins and you're good. You cash. They didn't, I did that for like four out of six lineups or six out of eight lineups. Swapped right over to them and got low ownership on these money line guys that don't have high ceilings. So they were like low owned. Okay, thanks. Yeah, no shot at first place. Sure, but thank you for making it easy for me to turn you know, a $100 entry into a $175 entry or something like that. Thank you. And then once I'm towards the top, then I do the opposite. Right? I, did, I, I mean, the, the one that I won... The one that I want, I actually didn't have to even have to late swap because I already had leverage in the lineup to begin with. But I could have blocked. I think there was a point where I could have, I could have played a chalkier fighter, uh, and been on pace for possibly first place. But I just chose not to because, dude, I'm playing for first place. Everyone's gonna play this guy. And it was some nine K fighter, ninety two hundred dollar fighter, and I was playing like the ninety three hundred dollar fighter or ninety one hundred dollar fighter. And they said, no, I'm not going to, what, what am I blocking for? I looked around me. A lot of people had that fighter. I was like, yeah, I could possibly, I could come in first, second, third. That guy does it. That guy puts up 120 points. Sure. Or I could play the guy that's three times less owned than him in that same range. And if he just outscores that other guy, I'm like, I'm pretty much lock up first place. And that's what I did. Not that hard. It's not that hard. As long as you understand the concepts and to get more about the concepts of things like this, like late swap, you get the theory of daily fantasy sports, 15 hour audio DFS masterclass. How to think like a professional DFS player. 
There's actually actually part of a chapter. It's called post-lock relative value changes that talk about this very thing that we talked about today. So if you want to get that in 15 hours more of audio, learn the fundamental concepts of expert DFS gameplay. Or once you're done with that, theory DFS for advanced players, which includes custom Excel tools for you to make a systematic, repeatable, and time-efficient process to analyze the slates effectively and consistently build lineups that do show a long-term profit plus EV lineups. The, the Excel tools are constantly, uh, you know, bug, bug, uh, bugs are fixed and things are added. James has done a great job with that. So go to theoryofdfs.com and pick that up. Give me those thummy thumbs on your way out the door. Thumb, thumb, thummy, thumb, 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 thumb. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. We got tons of content on the channel. As usual, NBA is still going on. We got we got like 29 days for baseball. I think 28. It's getting there. We're getting close. Tomorrow we'll be covering the UFC pay-per-view slate. We got 14 fights as of now. As of now, 14 fights on the card. I'll be talking about lineup construction and everything related to that tomorrow. But also check out the premium MMA stuff that we have as well. Click on that link in the description. Get $10 off your first month of a combo premium package here at Roto-Grinders. And, uh, and send in your questions. If you got any DFS strategy questions, email questions at theoryofdfs.com. And I'll be here to answer them. Like I always do, Monday through Friday, 11 o'clock Eastern on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.